This podcast is part of the A3K Network. For more information, visit www.anime3000.com. Warning. The views and opinions expressed by this producer are not necessarily the views and opinions expressed by Anime 3000, its producers, partners, or affiliates. Listener discretion is advised. down to the other side everybody the only anime podcast that isn't fucking boring i'm cody buyer i'm max later i'm andrew erickson and today we're going to talk about uh, an anime series that has been getting a lot of buzz on the grapevine lately a lot of people have been talking about this one because it looks really weird um and we decided for whatever reason we're going to watch it and i don't know whose idea it was but uh you might have to be kicked off the show i don't know because it's a little piece of shit by the name of Aku no Hana. Also known as Aku no Rotoscope or Potato no Hana. Yeah, uh, <laughs> someone had the bright idea to do an anime rotoscoped. But uh, they decided to make it actually look worse than the 1960-something Ralph Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings rotoscope movies. And what, what it basically results as is weird-looking human stop-motion. It's actually like, But it's like worse stop-motion than that uh, Gautier video, the... What the hell is that it's like called? Uncanny Valley Wallace and Gromit. It really is. <laughs> it's Uncanny Valley Wallace and Gromit. Um, and p- it, it uses anime shortcuts, but because it's rotoscoping, it's made all the more clear. Like when people just freeze when it's, they're supposed to be still. Normally that's fine in a normal anime, but with this rotoscope stop motion thing where everything makes a little movement whenever there's a frame of animation, there were several times where I thought the video fucked up. Because <laughs> everybody would just freeze. Well, same here. And, like, the, if if they were far enough away from the camera, their face would disappear. And if they would walk toward the camera, parts of their face would just blip into existence. Like, first their eyes and their mouth and then their nose, if you can even see their nose ever. And the rotoscoping actually makes everyone look like a freak, even people that would probably be decent looking. Like, you get the feeling maybe uh, Saiki and Nakamura, who we'll get into them in a little bit down the line, probably look decent. But uh, this rotoscoping and the way their noses are never visible and what it does to their mouths makes them look kind of terrifying. Like, And if not terrifying, hilariously derpy. But that's not even the worst thing about this show. You'd think that would be because that's what everyone's making fun of. But no, the real worst thing about this show is the fucking content of this show. Fucking hipster garbage. Holy shit. Okay, people. I'm just going to come out and say this. <clears throat> If you like this show legitimately, you're a dumb person. And I say this with all confidence because you have to be. And I don't even want to hear, this show is so crazy. It's really not. It's really not. It's boring. It's boring. It's pretentious. And I don't – I have said uh, with anime, um, the bad tends to be amazingly bad and the good tends to be amazingly good. This is basically the uh, – uh, opposite the the pole the on the other end of the spectrum from monster in terms of a dark psychological thriller and like exploring uh dark aspects of the human psyche and all that this is like like monster did that flawlessly 
This is laughable about it. Yeah. This is like the fucking master copy of bad. Yeah, really. Like, this is glory. It, it tries so much and it fails gloriously at all of it. It tries to do something different, failed. It tries to be deep, fails. It tries to uh, explore characters and be a psychological uh, fucking character study, fails. Tries what to, characters? Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, you know, tries to sort of be an indictment of all this shit of Japanese culture, fails. Although it is successful in showing how shitty Japanese culture is and how thankful we should be to live in America, or in uh, Max's case, Germany. It really, really, really is just a f- an utter failure for stupid people. German education is the best in the world! <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think German science came from? <laughs> like, oh my god, like... This is for those idiots that go, Wow, school days is so messed up, you guys. I'm like, oh, hey, that's it, where she was holding his severed head. It is so messed up. This is a show for those idiots that do Let's Plays of survival horrors. Like, whoever came up with this game is sick in the head. This is really fucked up, whoever came up with this. This is really demented, you guys. It's for those kind of idiots. And then it turns out they're playing Eversion or some shit. <laughs> this was made for 13 to 14 year olds and people who are mentally stuck at the age of 13 to 14. Like people who didn't emotionally or psychologically or intellectually develop past 13, 14. I'm actually surprised even they can stomach it because there are just so many long stretches of boring. Like, how do they have the attention span to sit through nine minutes of people walking with no dialogue? Yeah, there is, there is a fucking scene. I think it's episode eight. The first nine minutes. The first nine entire fucking minutes of episode one. Not episode one. Eight. Eight. It's got my mind all... (laughs) Episode eight. The first nine entire minutes are the main character and this girl Nakamura, we'll get into her, walking slowly at night in real time. In real fucking time. Nine minutes of walking to nothing but... You know what happened when I was watching this? When when I was watching the episodes, I occasionally paused it again and again because I couldn't take too much of that shit uh, continuously. So at one point, I actually didn't really hit the button, and it still went on, and I went on to do other stuff. Then, about six minutes later, I went back to look, and then I saw, wait a second, is this is this another scene? Oh, wait, it's still the same... Wait a second, what happened in these six minutes? They didn't talk, otherwise I would have heard it. <laughs> what the fuck is this shit? I didn't miss anything in six minutes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Inferno Cop, one of the greatest animes of all time, could do an entire episode of shit in two and a half. <laughs> That's like, there's like three episodes of Inferno Cop you could have watched. Like two and a half, three episodes, depending on how much time, extra time you want to give yourself. You want to give yourself a little overtime to watch Inf- of, of Inferno Cop. You could have watched, and you would have had a g- grand old time. And or you could have watched fucking fuck. Uh, God, uh, you, uh, why are you watching this and not Inferno Cop? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Our next episode is probably going to be on Inferno Cop because y'all need to learn about Inferno Cop. But until then, till that glorious day. We have Aku no fucking harm. I think we need to actually get in the premises and characters before we start talking about this bo- these oh, bullshit God. moments. Yeah. 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 Uh, Alright, so we got this main character. What the fuck's his name again? Naoya? Uh, Kazuga. Kazuga. I'm thinking of the fucker from Masterot's <laughs> toy. 
Let's just um, call him Shinji. Yeah. Equally pathetic. <laughs> Remember the other side's uh, canon for all anime? That actually makes this show make more sense in, in a lot of ways. For instance, in according to other side canon, this is uh, the events in the same universe as End of Evangelion. This is after Shinji and Asuka went all Adam and Eve and inbred the human race. <laughs> which explains, A, why everyone looks so fucked up. B, why everyone in this story, and we'll get into this in detail, but why everyone in the story is pants on head retarded and abominably stupid. And see why this main character is so much like his fucking ancestor, Shinji. They're all inbred from Shinji and Asuka. He's practically his reincarnation without... I was about to say any of Shinji's redeeming values, but he doesn't have any. It's, it's more like he's Shinji to the fucking extreme. Yeah. Uh, he basically, he's this disillusioned hipster who reads uh, pretentious French poetry... Yeah, which doesn't mean anything. Yeah, um, don't get Max started, because Germans and French don't really like each other. Yeah, I would have admitted if it actually was good, whether this guy was French or not, but I actually read The Flowers of Evil, well, a chunk of it, and all of it is pretentious waxing on about nothing but meandering bullshit. It's basically just... Big words arranged in a way that seems like it would make sense, but it actually doesn't. It's just meaningless shit. It's it's random babble is what it really seems like. How appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like a hipster went... It really is what it is. Um, and that's like the main character, Kazuga's favorite book. Yeah. Uh, quick side note here. This is exactly why hipsters and assholes like that guy actually would like this book. It's simply because it is meaningless, and because it is meaningless, they think, well, it can't just be meaningless. It ha- obviously has to be a deeper meaning to it that nobody gets, and then they can condescend to everyone who doesn't get it. You know, it's it's like uh, Flowers of Evil, both the show and the book, is basically the equivalent of sad clown flipping a pancake or that one video <laughs> that uh, freaking Andy Warhol made of that one guy w- whom he filmed sleeping for six hours. That's Akunohana for you. It's about At times, a, it's it's frighteningly it, like that because it's just, let's watch two people walk for nine minutes. Yeah. I lost count of how many times Kasuga tells people, you don't understand. He really does things like say things like, no one in this town understands but me and shit. And... Which gets extremely hilarious once we get to the tense episode, but we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But the thing about that is, I, I uh, it is my firm belief that successful art should have one interpretation because that means the artist had something to convey and conveyed it. And if the artist was able to successfully convey, be artist or storyteller or whatever, or writer, especially a writer, um, should convey have an idea and convey that idea. So there should not be more than one uh, interpretation. There might be just from some git that sees it one way or another, but generally there sh- people the consensus should be it is this, that, and the other. Yeah, mostly, the, mostly ambiguity is a cop out of the inept. Exactly. Uh, so when you have things like like people see the uh, pretentious gibberish of uh, Flowers of Evil, they try to come up with all these interpretations. Like, wow, you can get like a million interpretations. 
people are probably going to say, well, no, I kind of like that. No, I'm going to tell you right now, before you say it, person who's going to say that, you like that because you like to be the one to assign a meaning to it. You like to play. It's like a game. You like to play. You like to play, create a meaning. And then you like to feel like you subconsciously, you subconsciously feel like you had a hand in it in some way. You have now made it yours by assigning a meaning to it that's from you. It's just like do it yourself fan fiction. Yeah, it's not the, the author's meaning. It's the meaning you gave it. So you form a connection with it, which is why you like assigning meanings to it so much, which is why you support multiple meanings to things, because you basically want a part in it. If the author has a meaning and conveys it, that's the author's meaning. It's not yours. You may form a connection in other ways, but generally you don't have a behind-the-scenes greater hand in things. So it's just basically a fucking uh, simultaneous ego and people wanting to play this game, yeah. which is – which I mean, uh, obviously – This isn't going to be everybody, just most of you, the vast majority. That's why you do it. That's why you like, oh, I come up, there's so many meanings you can interpret from it. I love it. No, you love it because you can interpret a meaning and you can feel like you had a hand in its deeper purpose. No, a proper, a proper writer has a, an intention in mind and then said, there's my intention. This is what I wanted to convey. I want to convey this, and I will do it through my words, and then when it hits the audience, if that author is competent, they will get the exact meaning that the author intended to put forth. If the author did not have an intended meaning, they are a hack. They are uh, taking a shortcut because they are inept, so they are taking the easy way out. They are like Dadaists, but without the, but, but, uh, the self-awareness and without the middle finger to All the, the art All the writers community. of Lost. Yeah, well, even Dada had a purpose. Yeah, Dada was a fuck you to this kind of thought. Yeah, because the entire purpose, the point of Dada was that it was in itself meaningless, which was yeah. basically to mock art. Right, and which is why Dada, the Dadaist movement was fucking amazing, and yet still to this day, people, which is funny to say, don't fucking get it. Yeah, Dada Dadaists are, are basically sophisticated trolls. They really are. They really, really are. They have been... And they have successfully called the art community out on its bullshit. That's the great. That's the best thing. Exactly. They proved their point without a shadow of a doubt. You can't argue what they say. You can't. Fuck they, modern art. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, they made it happen. They demonstrated it to you perfectly to the point it's inarguable. It's like me trying to argue that gravity is a thing and then doing so by dropping something. <laughs> that is the argument that the Dadaist movement made. And that is... The Dada and fucking Baudelaire and Flowers of Evil is exactly the kind of shit the Dadaist movement was shining a light on. Exactly. This pretentious nothing that people assign meaning to so that they can feel intelligent and it incre and it you know boosts their ego. Oh yeah, and before anyone says, yeah, well, you just hate ambiguity. You know, here's how you can actually pull ambiguity off. And in this case, Monster is actually a perfect example since we already compared it to Arkanohana because. At the end of Monster, which I obviously won't spoil, but at the end, the in, uh, the intended message and everything is clear, but there is still a little bit of ambiguity as to what the, what will happen after the end. Like, the entire story has wrapped itself up, but how it goes from there is actually left ambiguous. And it's it's once again brilliantly executed. But what happens in Akko Nohana? It's just everything is... I don't even know. Oh, God. It's so confused. Oh, no. It's, it, oh, God, this fucking show. 
We're still getting ahead of ourselves because there's so much to mock here, but I just want to say again, if you legitimately enjoy Akunohana, you're probably an idiot. And I kind of want to see who comes at, who uh, comes forth and says how much they love Akunohana, just to kind of prove my point. Because I'm willing to bet the people that love Akunohana aren't exactly going to be trotting out their fucking intelligence. <laughs> they might say, you know, fucking maybe some repeat offenders from the comment section that have been making glorious fools of themselves. Uh, we'll probably come out, I actually like Dokken Ohana. Of course you did. Yeah, Loli Hano. Yeah. It's just confirmation at this point. Yeah. I'm tired of being right. <laughs> I keep end up being right. And it's not like I reinterpret the world to fit what I say. No, I say these things, and then later something happens to reaffirm what I say. I could say all college students are Hitler, and then like a year later after I say it, there's going to be like a, uh, an epidemic on college campuses of all these Hitlers showing up. Hipster this, Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what I'm talking about. I say this shit, and then, then after I say this shit, people come along to fucking prove me right, and that's been happening at a, ever since I joined A3K. All the shit that I said about idiots and the anime fandom just keeps getting thrown in my face. Like, hey, Cody, did you know you're right? <laughs> Well, I'm sure there are some people on college campuses who wear t-shirts like Death Camp for Cutie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hipster Hitler. Not The jokes aren't really that funny, but they only re- we only read you for the shirts. Um, but did, did, this really is... This, there's, no, there's no real merits on this show. It's only quote-unquote crazy in like something like juvenile like school days. Like, oh, it's crazy that... Uh, they trashed the classroom. Yeah, the only oh reason it boy. seems the only reason it seems crazy is because everything else is so fucking boring. Yeah, we still, yeah, gotta, like, but... we still gotta get to the premise. People. Oh yeah, shit. Um, so we We're getting ahead of ourselves again. Yeah, we got uh, Kasuga, and he's a twit, and he reads poetry, and he loves Baudelaire. He's got a framed picture of him in his room that I swear every time they cut to show it, it looks like Baudelaire just going, "What the fuck is this kid?" <laughs> The fuck am I? God, again, kid, really? I, I just uh, wrote that shit to impress the women. Like, why are you still reading it? It's crap. Yeah, and then we got uh, Nakamura. No, we're going to save her for last because there's a lot to make fun of there. Uh, <laughs> and we got Saiki. She's like the most beautiful girl in class, but I'm pretty sure she cuts her own hair and she's not good at it. Because <laughs> her hair is like, she's got these two antennas and then these bangs and... Uh, they're, they're only, there's only ha- she's only got half of bangs, and it, she looks like she cut her own hair. Like she went crazy, snapped, and goes, ah! snip, snip, <laughs> and then that would actually explain a lot. Um, and then she's pretty, she's pretty flat as a character. <laughs> um, haha. She's just there for Kasuga to pine over. Yeah, she is pretty his much. quote muse, his femme fatale. He shows it. me that, yeah, as he says, which makes me think he doesn't know what, uh, let's let's give him muse, he doesn't know what a femme fatale is. Uh, then we have Nakamura. <laughs> uh, I just want to get this out of the way, little elf in the room. She looks like Hank Hill. <laughs> the rotoscoping makes her look like Hank Hill. <laughs> She's got the glasses, the way her head is shaped because of the rotoscoping. You get the feeling if there weren't rotoscoping, she would have been cute, like when they get her from some angles. But because of the way the lines are drawn on her, they give her this rectangular head half the time, and she looks like Hank Hill. 
He's even got the rectangular glasses. Yeah, you'd, you'd half expect her at any second to look at the main character and go like, that boy and right. Yeah, like, like pretty much the entire time watching, I was just riffing on her. I was taking anything she said or did and turning it to propane. It's like, that Nakamura is so weird. It's like, yeah, I tried talking to her at lunch yesterday, and she started trying to sell me propane. <laughs> That's really the only way to watch the show, to just treat it like a comedy. Yeah. And then uh, she, personality-wise, she is can basically be summed up as a shitty Turkish knockoff of Hazama. <laughs> Hankzama. Yeah, Hankzama. That's basically what what uh, the three of us have just been taking to calling her is Hankzama. Uh, she's like, she wants the world to burn, she hates the world, she thinks it's boring, she's gone crazy, she tells people off and just tells them, like, tells the teacher that he's to go eat shit, and she wants, she tries to psychologically break people with words and trying to tell them what's wrong with them, and she'll just spontaneously break out into fits of loud laughter, and she'll just start chewing scenery because she's quote-unquote crazy. But see, Hazama was great at it because, A, when he broke people down verbally, he actually was good at it. Like, he would he would address what the viewer was aware of as their problem or just say something that the viewer was like, oh, no, don't tell them that. That's the worst thing you could possibly say and all that shit. And when he did this hammy psychopath thing, he was visibly having fun with his madness, so it worked. So when he chewed scenery, it was like, yeah, you're awesome. She's supposed to be dark and creepy. She's really not, especially voice. Like, even the manga would have been one thing of a failure, but voice, we're hearing this teenage girl going, ah, ha, 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 ha. It's like, shut up. Although Just I'm, shut up, you dork. I'm also pretty sure that Hazama never raped anyone. Yeah, she kind of, sort of raped the main character. Not really. She didn't, like, fuck him, but she tore his clothes off and then put clothes on, like... These, what are we getting that? Oh god, we haven't yeah. even explained that yet. <laughs> yeah, um... That's like half the plot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're keeping ahead of ourselves. There's so much to make fun of. But yeah, she's... We're basically making constant Hank Hill Hazama jokes about Nakamura. That's all you need to really know. And she's like, oh, she goes against Japanese society. She says uh, very blunt things and starts laughing crazy. And She doesn't respect the teacher. Oh no, she's such a menace. Yeah, and uh... <laughs> And the the opening of the show is sung by each of the different characters. Like, every three episodes, it changes. When she sings the opening, you, it's like, shut up, bitch. She starts like, I'm singing the lyrics like I'm crazy. Shut up. No one's buying it, you tool. Just shut the fuck up. That's, that's actually the, simply the one I liked the most, simply because there is... You know, at least something of an emotion in there, even if it's crappy. But the, because the other ones is just the main character being emo, or the uh, psyche girl being, oh, I'm such a delicate flower, please don't beat me. And the last one is just, oh. I don't know what the last one is. Yes, crap. Um, but it's got all three of their colors. Yeah. Um, it, well, we'll get into the music in a minute because that's going to be its own discussion. Yeah. So the yeah. the basic premise is uh, hipster Hitler, basically, and I, I I guess maybe I should call him hipster Ringo because his hair is fighting his eyebrows for supremacy over his face. <laughs> his hair and his eyebrows have me- merged into this mushroom head. 
Um, but anyway, hipster yeah, Hitler. He's actually Krauser. Yeah. Uh, hi- hipster. Uh, well, yeah, he's got the dickhead hairdo from Detroit <laughs> Metal City. Yeah. He's actually a DMC fan. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hipster Hitler. Uh, he's first. I want to point out the first episode uh, is an incredibly egregious example of a failed television show and is inarguable, and no one can defend it because you will simply be spouting bullshit because it commits the grievous crime of having absolutely nothing happen. And when I mean absolutely nothing. I'm not using hyperbole or uh, I'm not using a platitude or a turn of phrase. No, literally. Like, Lucky Star was more eventful than this. And that's not me making a joke because at least Lucky Star had topics of discussion. This does not. It is meander. I don't care. They're setting up how monotonous his life is. And they're establishing how boring it is to live in this in this city. Well, you know what, though? Um, TV show is still supposed to be entertainment. And you're not supposed to make boring entertainment no matter what your artistic statement is. You can convey that in, like, ten minutes. They were successful at failing. Yeah, boring. Yeah. making boring entertainment is sort of like making a gun where the barrel is pointing towards you. Yeah. It's yeah. not how you're supposed to do it, and if you shoot yourself with it, you will have proof nothing except that you are an idiot. Yeah, uh, it... it there's just no excuse for it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can smell the excuses already, but there's none. Absolutely none. Uh, See, so yeah, at the end of the first... It was not till the very end, the last second of the first episode, to where we are introduced to what is going to become the plot. Uh, and then the second episode hits. Uh, basically, I'm not going to get into the whole details of the scene, but basically, uh, Hipster Hitler steals Psyche's gym clothes. Yeah. And even then, it takes him about three minutes to actually pick them up after seeing them. Like it smells like her shampoo. Yeah, and then, and then when when he's home, he holds them in his hands. He has them on his bed and lies down on them, and it's it's creepy. But then he doesn't really do anything else. Yeah, like he doesn't. He, and then he acts like he raped her. <laughs> the things he says seem comical. I've added to my sins. <laughs> I am a flower of evil. <laughs> <laughs> These are all real lines from the show. Yeah, we're not making this up. He's furiously riding his bike, angry at himself over what he's done. Says the thing about, like, I have added to my sins, I'm a sinner. Then just starts spontaneously screaming as he rides his bike. Yeah, it's hilarious, actually. <laughs> it is, but it's not supposed to be. Yeah, it's That's supposed to be dramatic and, ooh, look at that poor tortured soul and it's so artistic and you can feel his inner anguish. But really it's just some dipshit on a bike going, I want to see if it's one of the people in town. Just watch him ride by. Well, it kind of did. He rides by these two people that just kind of look at him. Like, yeah, they're like, <laughs> No, it's just like, he gets louder and then he trails off into the distance. <laughs> like some guy sitting there on his porch, like, see the game yesterday? Yeah, see another guy. Yeah, pretty good. All of a sudden you hear in the back. Ah! <laughs> the hell was that? Did you see that? The, the hell was that? <laughs> <Just go. laughs> and then uh, he runs into Hank Zama, who basically says, I know what you did. If you don't want me to tell anybody, you have to enter a contract. And she basically starts making him do crazy shit. Yeah, while almost making out with him. That, I don't want to talk about this show's plot anymore. Why don't y'all talk about it? Okay, I'll, I'll quickly explain what the 
quote-unquote plot is. So the, as we explained, the main conflict is this whole, you know, he stole that one bitch's gym clothes that he has a crush on, and Nakamura saw him and blackmails him into doing shit for her so that she doesn't tell anyone. So this basically goes in a whole bunch of episodes of meandering, where, for example, she forces him, like in the library, she tears his clothes off and puts the gym clothes on him. Uh, Oh, and by the way, his idea of defending himself is just lying on the floor like a dead bug and holding his arms up, because that'll defend you. Like, "Uh, please don't do anything to me, you incredibly strong girl. What do you do, mixed martial arts or something? I am defenseless. Yeah, it would have taken one punch to this girl's face. It's like, no, no. As soon as she starts ripping his clothes off, she'd have been back. But then again, this man has no dick, so... Because, I mean, like, oh, you don't hit a woman. You do if she's doing that. Yeah. Actually, in one scene, we see him naked, so he, he literally has no dick. <laughs> yeah, he, is, he visibly can't see anything. He's like, yeah, he's wow, this makes... Candle. Like, and, like, and the narrative <laughs> begins to form. Well, could you tell anyway? <laughs> These characters don't have faces half the time, so... <laughs> too small for the rotoscoping to register. It. Oh, God, imagine if you made porn with that. Like, the genitals would have to pop in. They <laughs> <laughs> walk oh, close okay. to the screen, all of a sudden, dick balls... <laughs> But, uh, anyway. I have junk now. <laughs> so no, that's, I don't. that's pretty much the main conflict. And this draws itself over several episodes. And uh, then, suddenly, like, some girl gets her lunch money stolen. This whole plot never gets really resolved, but everyone thinks it's Nakamura because, you know, she's creepy. And and, you know how Japanese kids are. Yeah, and he, yeah, Japanese kids are assholes. And, uh, and racist and also, yeah. But anyway, he defends Nakamura, and Saki is so incredibly impressed by this that she wants to go out with him. Uh, and Nakamura is overjoyed with this, so once again, while she almost kiss-rapes him, she forces him to wear the gym clothes of that one bitch underneath his, uh, underneath his regular clothes, and he has to go on a date like that. And actually, at the end of the date, she suddenly runs up and dumps a bucket of water on him. And the show repeats this shot about several, uh, like, 20 times from different angles and increasingly faster. And when I was watching this, I was like, oh, my God, this has become its own YouTube poop. Ah!" I thought the same damn thing. You really expect Robotnik to pop in. (laughs) And then suddenly, fingers! Uh, but yeah, and I'm like, I'm, I'm expecting after it happens, he looks down at himself and goes, "Shoot!" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, like Nakamura, and then he, then he turns to Nakamura, "You must die!" <laughs> uh, so yeah, what Nakamura also often does is like call him a pervert and say that he like jerked off on his gym clothes or whatever, and then he's got him. And there's this one scene where she has this hilariously weird rotoscope face and says. Got a boner. <laughs> and other lines. Uh, oh, and by the way, during the date with Saki, she stalks them. And the way she does this is she goes from one corner to the other and pops her head out. And when she moves, she stretches out her arms and goes, like verbally. This is not a sound effect of her moving. This literally what she does. For she that. she yeah. is less stealthy than the Looney Tunes character. It's, it's, she it's, was doing her own. Do, 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 do. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like Flan in disguise going nin 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 when she tries to be a ninja. Except this is supposed to be art. 
Oh, and while she's while she's running, like he spots her in one second, and suddenly there's slow mo, and we see her like walk, jumping of sorts, while she smiles and looks at him, and suddenly there's like rainbows in the background and it sparkles, and you half expect him to go, "My love quest is finally over." I was really expecting the robot unicorn theme to play over that scene. Or that, uh, yeah. Always <laughs> anyway. I want to be with you. And rape in something. And rape and blackmail you. Exactly. <laughs> Someone should make a version of that. Anyway, so... Oh, yeah, another thing that just hit me. Another reason that why uh, Nakamura is a dime store Hazuma knockoff. She wants to turn uh, uh, Shinji 2 into a, quote, deviant that will burn the world. So she's basically grooming her own little Mu-12. Yeah, she wants him to become his real deviant self and try to break down his walls. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, after this whole date shit and so on, uh, she uh, then wanted him... He then says to her, I can't tell Saiki that I took her gym clothes. Please, Nakamura, tell her for some reason. And she says, okay, come with me at midnight to the school. And then they go there, and then she asks of him that he writes down what he has done, like that he sniffed her gym clothes and so on, that he's a pervert, and he's supposed to write that down on the blackboard of their class. And um, he at first doesn't want to, and then she's like, yeah, it looks like I've been wrong about you. You're, you just, because he said, I just want to be normal. And she's absolutely disgusted with this and says, like, don't ever talk to me again. And she starts walking away. And then he's suddenly like, Nakamura! And then he takes a piece of chalk and starts furiously writing in a way that makes Light Yagami look the most subdued person ever. And he's and making this noise the whole time. <laughs> 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 You know what? It tries to make this like uh, already and directed by like changing the camera angles constantly to go with his. Uh, uh, what I want is a static video shot from the other side of the room of him on the ch- at the chalkboard, furiously scribbling on it, going. Yeah, and then, then he starts writing, and then he says, "There, that good enough," and throws it back on the floor, and then he goes on the floor and starts writing there. And she starts spraying paint everywhere and gives him, like, a paintbrush, and he takes it and drags it over the entire room. Uh, while, rave dances. Yeah, yeah and, 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 they, and she had... Yeah, they had gallons of paint in this classroom for some reason. Yeah, and she actually had that one line where she literally said when he was doing that she was standing on a table, had taken her jacket off and uh, so that she only was wearing her shirt and shouted... More, this isn't enough to satisfy me. Literally. This whole show reeks as someone's weird domination fetish. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then, well, the author said that it was partially autobiographical, so... Bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, so they basically... Well, by partially, he means that he stole someone's gym clothes once, and that's the only part that hasn't... <laughs> and, a yeah, and, he then felt, that, and he felt bad about it, which is why this show treats it like it's a fucking crime and like it was practically rape. Yeah, and the hot the author is just his weird guilt over this. Yeah, we can although we can be pretty sure that the hot girls quote unquote tormenting him are his invention. 
Yeah, it's Nazi Spanish, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so basically they trash the classroom, and like a retard, he draws like that picture of the flower from the front cover of Akanohana. Yeah, I want to point that the, 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 Yeah, the, this flower of evil itself that's on like the cover of the flowers of evil and that keeps showing up as a metaphor, it looks like dark matter from Kirby's Dreamland. It's like, like, a, it's like a black dandelion with an eye. Yeah, it, it looks like dark matter, and that's pretty much what I kept calling it. And, and I am adding to the other side's canon story here, the other side's shared universe. That is dark matter. He got beat in Kirby games, and after Kirby 64, he got knocked into another universe, and he ended up in fucking uh, Flowers of Evil World. But he just got trapped in the cover of this fucking book. And he just keeps appearing places because he's not really supposed to be in that universe. It's like a Blaze Blue situation. He's in the universe, but he's not. So he just keeps popping up places. Like every time he shows that symbolic flower, it's not a symbol. That's actually him trying to do shit. And he's like, oh, God. That's why on the, cov- escape. That's why on the cover of the Flowers of Evil book, the eye is looking up. It's not like rolling in the back of its head. It's dark matter going, oh, God. <laughs> and he's, tra- he's trying to get the fuck out. And like... He he's getting pretty close. Like in episode eleven, there was that whole extended scene where he walks through a field, and then all of a sudden, those flowers of evil flowers grow everywhere. It's fucking dark matter. Like, okay, come on, I'm almost there. I can just uh, And then suddenly, pretend, pretentious hipster off. storm. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like he's maybe he's uh fucking uh he's he's the one screwing with everybody's head and why they're all fucking idiots. Because you remember, if you play Kirby, he possesses people and then he just tries to make them kill. Like so, maybe he's just—I don't know. I don't know how dark matter works. <laughs> All I know is he's in fucking this. He's in the uh, the Doctor Tambo versus the Nurse universe. He's just got floating around places. <laughs> he'll probably. He'll, he'll, who knows? Maybe he's like in other anime. He's just kind of showing up every now and then, just floating around trying to find his way back home. So uh, yeah, because that, that was pretty much the Hank Hill and dark matter jokes were the only way I got through this. I'm going to summarize the rest real quick. Well, then, you, um, uh, then what basically? You know, what I think that uh, you should mention that when they were on the date, yeah, Kasuga took Psyche to a bookstore and bought her the Flowers of Evil. Oh yeah, right. And she tried. Like that to was read his it. idea of romantic. I love this. This is, proves <clears throat> how incompetently written, like objectively incompetently written, uh, this story is, and the kind of nerd wish fulfillment going on here. <clears throat> it's ca- he okay? Listen, here's the situation. That presents itself. And then I want you people to think, in the real world, what would result? What would be the result? How do you think this date went? Take her to a bookstore, uh, to a girl that's not really interested in books like he is. <clears throat> Starts gushing, uh, like nerding out, totally nerding out, over uh, these authors and all these poet, poets and all this shit. He was very shy and apprehensive before. Put him in front of these books. Oh, my God, is this is that guy? And this, this poet? And, 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 and he starts going on about the flowers of evil. By the way, the guy that runs the bookstore has a hilarious mustache. It looks like a beak from a Disney duck character. Like, I'm not kidding. His mustache is, like, uh, fucking alive and coming to get you. It's trying to escape his face. It has aspirations of world domination. <laughs> uh, anyway, he nerds out, buys her a book she doesn't. she's not really interested in, then says, hold on, I have, I'll be right back, and runs off. Into an alley, leaving her there for like a good five, ten minutes. Then comes out of the alley panting, like, sorry, I had something I had to take care of. 
So he took her to a bookstore, uh, nerded out right in front of her on a first date, uh, forced a book on her she's not really interested in, and then just left her in a in a place she doesn't care about and is not interested in for a good ten minutes by herself. How do you think that date went? Well, well obviously to, he was getting some. <laughs> well, according to Akinohana, uh, that date went fantastically and they start a relationship. Oh no, I'm sorry. What is he asks her for a completely platonic relationship? He says word for word, "Will you enter into a pl- completely platonic relationship with me?" Yeah, and the sentence before was, "I'm not a deviant." Now he screams this out loud. Just he's not talking, and then screams in front of her, "I'm not a deviant." Because Nakamura wanted him to kiss her again. All common sense dictates this is a failed date. He'll never see her again. But not in this. In idiot land, the wor- in the world of inbreds, uh, and you will see many, many examples of just everyone in, in Akunohana being just, just brain dead. Just absolutely brain dead. Like every episode, you could spot a dozen places where you could have short-circuited the whole plot if he just talked to one of the characters. Just like said, hey, uh, this creepy Nakamura chick, she's blackmailing me. How he could have short-circuited the, the entire plot by simply not stealing the gym clothes. <laughs> and let's say, let's say, uh, there's a million, every, just about every episode has a moment where, like, he, the, everything could easily be resolved and he'd be out of dodge and, and there would be no plot. Like, when he was forced to wear the gym clothes under his regular clothes, there were several times where they went into a building where Nakamura couldn't see. She didn't follow inside. He could have easily gone to, uh, gone to the bathroom. He was carrying around, like, a satchel with him. So he could have easily gone to the bathroom, uh, put, took the gym clothes off, put them in the satchel, then walked back out and just been on his date as normal, not wearing the clothes under his clothes, not wearing the gym clothes under his regular clothes. Boom. There you go. Nakamura wouldn't know. Boom. Fuck you, Hank Zama. <laughs> you truly aren't, you, you were truly a failed Hazama knockoff because he knew how to fucking plan shit and avoid Things like that. But since he's an idiot, her plans still sort of work anyway. Because <laughs> he, he's a fucking moron. Like, every episode is like, if you just did this, now you'd be out of the woods. If you just did this, now you'd be out of the woods. If you did this, now you'd be out of the woods. But nope. Yeah. Because yeah, like, when Saiki finds out about the gym clothes, she isn't even mad. She says that she doesn't care about them. And the, the only thing that upsets her is that he didn't tell her. And he he just continues to mope silently and... It's put on a show. Yeah, it's because she's batshit insane. Well, also, like, he he acts in a way, like, real people don't act like this. And it's one thing if you're doing this goofy behavior shit in, a, in an anime or a manga where you have to exaggerate shit because it's cartoonier, so you have to convey things differently. When you have this rotoscoping effect where everyone looks realistic... Sort of. Yeah, well, for the purposes of, you, you know what I'm getting at. Everyone looks like, uh, attempts to look like real people, doing real things, real movements, real actions. It looks fucking ridiculous. Like, like I was, this. there's a scene where they're, like, walking together, and then all of a sudden he just, uh, she says something, and all of a sudden he starts sweating, like, no, I don't know anything about it, and it's like, there's not, I, I was just thinking, like, she would go, like, I, lo- I think it's so cute how, like, you'll spontaneously, without provocation, act like the cops are chasing you. <laughs> like, it, and he just and he, there's no subtlety in this guy whatsoever. 
his emotions are turned to extremes at every at all times, which is another sign that this is crappy writing and a crappy attempt at a psychological character study because there's no subtlety to him. He's just on these extreme emotions at all times. Yeah, he can't control his emotions at all, which is whenever he's upset and someone is like, and, uh, hey, uh, hey, Shinji, can you help me with a... He's like, oh, 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 God, I've been... No, I've... Uh, yeah, I, um, I don't even... Uh, yeah, I, sure, right, yeah, I can help you. <laughs> I, I totally didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, the fact that no one could figure out he stole the gym clothes from his actions is mind-boggling, but when you look at who his fucking friends are, it's kind of not surprising, because he hung out with pretty much the two dumbest kids in that fucking school. Yeah, and even they were bullying him pretty much. Yeah, like, one was fucking Mongo from Blazing Saddles, (laughs) (laughs) and the other one is the guy I like to call Onion Head, (laughs) because his hair would look like a fucking onion, he had a unibrow, and he's constantly grinning like a creeper and stroking his chin like he's thinking. Yeah. And I, I just kept thinking, well, that's obviously the deepest character in this show. I mean, he's got layers. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that the one guy literally looked like he was trying to imitate Sp- uh, Spike Spiegel's Jufro, but failed. Yeah, Mongo looked like he was trying to do the fucking Spike Fro. <laughs> and you, you really need to see pictures of these characters to understand, because if you do, it, it's just dead on. <laughs> And, and and Mongo is worth like a hundred uh, reaction images. Almost everyone is in the show. Almost. Nakamura too, like when she was drinking that one drink while stalking them in the cafe. Actually, that, that was another scene where he acted like a total spaz. Like imagine, for example, this situation. You're on a date with uh, some guy whom you liked because he like stood up for the one creepy girl. And then you get to iced teas, and then you come back, and uh, you say like, uh, "Hey, Shinji, how's it going? I just brought some iced teas." And he's like, "Ah!" <laughs> and that's not really an exaggeration. That's how he acted. I prefer water. <laughs> Why didn't you bring me any ice? <laughs> yeah, this is. This is. This is not. This isn't even like crazy and wacky and weird and out there. It's it's just stupid. It's just really stupid. It's a stupid show for stupid people. That's really what it amounts to. Yeah. You know, when 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 it's all said and done, that's what this show is. It's a stupid show and it's target audience and for most part it's exceeded if you look at the people that enjoy this show, stupid people. Like I, there was a Tumblr thing that was talking about like how Nakamura, what makes her truly scary? She's like the voice inside all our heads that we're so scared of listening to. The voice that <laughs> li- looks at social norms and says no, and any one of us could be her, and that truly scares us. It's like no, it's because to be her, we'd have to be like mentally challenged. <laughs> like it has nothing. Like, oh, society. No, it's. Fucking common sense and brains and the ability to piece things. Like, maybe if you're super autistic, you have a fucking Nakamura in your head because you don't understand social norms. Or and that I get, especially, yeah, especially if you're fucking posting on Tumblr, then, yeah, that's a strong possibility that you're fucking autistic as hell and you don't under, you can't accept social cues and you're all kinds of fucked up and you never really learned them. Um, but generally, no, we don't all have a Nakamura in us. Because we have functioning brain cells. No, we are all flowers of evil. (laughs) 
So yeah, this show really is made for and successfully is enjoyed by just the unintelligent, the 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 intellectually fucking dead. Yeah, oh, we, we, last... we consider us more trees of evil, really. <laughs> in the last few episodes, she reveals her master plan, which is to get Kasuga to you know, just take her on a bike over the hill at the edge of town because yeah. she wants to leave to the end of the world. Uh, you know, you could have skipped the whole step where you try to drive this guy insane. You could have gotten your own bike. And he, uh, and he left his bike, and she just kind of kept it and hid it. Yeah. But uh, and they also they say like, there's nothing to do in this town. It's like it's like beyond that hill. It's like the edge of the world. It's like, do you not have the internet? Apparently not. Do you not. not own any way to communicate outside of your little fucking boring town? Oh, this town is so boring. Then go on some websites with stuff you like and talk to people or something. Yeah, or Get have some you, have fucking you, hobbies. Also, it's ironic that the guy who loves books so much doesn't... One can't find a way to entertain himself when he's got a like, fucking gigantic library in his, in his room, basically. And two, his view of the world is so extremely limited because he apparently has never picked up an atlas or anything like that. And, like... <laughs> Play a fucking video game if your town is so boring. Oh, there's nothing to do in this town. Everyone's stupid. Then play a video game or read a book or yeah, something. By, by or the, go by on the, the way, internet. I'm, I'm convinced he just have, has all these books in order to look smart. Because anyone who actually likes books, for example me, wouldn't put them on the floor because they'd get dirty. And he's got a shitload of them stacked on the floor. Yeah. Nobody who has actually any sort of respect for books would do this. Only people who use books as door stoppers and don't actually read them would do this. Yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. Uh, well, in uh, which actually in explains episode that 10, one episode. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'll I'll quickly get to that. Yeah, before that, after he has destroyed the classroom, Psyche finds out because obviously, you know, he drew the giant fucking flower in the middle of the classroom. And so she finds out and now knows that he stole her gym clothes and simply doesn't give a shit. Uh, oh, and by the way, Nakamura was talking to him and is like saying, she's wetter than an otter's pocket and says he wants to, f- uh, she wants to fuck him. Which is true, by the way, although we don't get to that in the show, in the manga, yes, as it turns out, she's actually like some horny, crazy bitch. Uh, so yeah. And then he... Which, by the way, is not alluded to at all, but I guess the author wanted to be more psychological, magy, crazy, uh-huh. so yes, yeah, yeah. Psyche's insane. Yeah, because coming of age, I guess. Emphasis on coming in this case. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so... <laughs> um, so he's going home, and then his mother finds out, because like a retard, he simply put the um, dirty ink-stained clothes in the dry in the tumbler in, uh, I mean in the washing machine instead of just burning them or throwing them away or anything and she finds out himself. Yeah, and then he runs away and then he runs to Nakamura and then they sit there for a while and then they decide to go away and he drives the bicycle while she's just on the backseat of sorts and like criticizing him for being too slow and then halfway there it starts to rain then they sit there and Psyche finds out he's gone and follows him and uh, finds eventually out where he is and then she's like am I not enough for you oh god because uh, she thinks he's apparently like the best thing since sliced bread 
And uh, she's like, you love her, don't you? He's like, no. <laughs> Which doesn't really explain why he was so loyal to her, but whatever. I can actually explain that. There's actually an element to his character that does make complete sense. It's not good. In fact, if anything, it's more of detriment to this story that this does actually make sense, and this was a successful uh, plot element, but I'll get to it after you're done with this. Okay. So, uh, to quickly summarize, what happens is, like, uh, Nakamura and Saiki bitch at him. It's like, choose one of us! And she's like, don't fuck with my expectations, blah, 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 I thought we were going, blah, 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 blah. And then the most glorious thing happens, unintentionally glorious. And it was so beautiful because it confirmed everything I was thinking. Namely this. He has a little breakdown uh, because Psyche was like, I I read this book several times like a Flowers of Evil. I just don't get it. I just want to understand you. And then he confesses something. And here's what he confesses. (laughs) He doesn't actually understand or read the Flowers of Evil. He just pretends to, though that he looks smart. He wants to appear interesting and different, which is why he reads that shit. So he's literally a self-admitted hipster, and then has a breakdown over it. It's like, I'm empty inside, oh god. Ah, it's... You know, I don't deserve either of you. Yeah, it, it was actually <laughs> yeah. so beautiful because it's like watching a hipster look in a mirror and realize what he truly is. It's like, oh my god, I'm a fucking sham. I only read this pretentious bullshit in order to seem interesting and deep while I'm really one of the most shallow people ever. And uh, then he skips his moment of realization and then simply says, like, I don't deserve to choose either of you. So, uh... Both of them are pissed at him now. Then suddenly the police arrives. Nakamura starts running. And for absolutely no reason, he runs after her and stops her. No, it wasn't. He's not the the one who ran after the cop did. Yeah, the police tackled her and dragged her back to the cop car. She was screaming like an idiot. (laughs) God, the animation was so bad I couldn't tell. No, that was earlier but when she was leaving and then he ran after her and stopped her before the police showed up. That was before his breakdown. Right. Nakamura started to leave, and he runs after her, and Psyche goes, oh no, you love her. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, there's this part in that scene where uh, Nakamura is, like, talking about how, uh, like, he is, like, totally horny for that uh, Psyche chick, and then she, like, puts off his clothes again and holds his arms behind his back, and then she is, like, behind him, and Psyche is standing right in front of him. He's, like, completely naked, and they're standing there in the, in the rain, and I actually screen-capped that and showed that to the others and wrote, simply wrote, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's... Now, I'm going to get into what seems like... I'm going to praise Akunohana, and then you're going to find out why it's very much not anything to praise over. Congratulations, Akunohana. You successfully had a character arc. You successfully had a character with what is only technically can be called depth, and I'm giving you this praise only in so much as that Mark Twain technically gave Fenimore Cooper praise at the end of the the literary literary offenses of Fenimore Cooper. And I want to get into that essay a little later, because Mark Twain is awesome, and he basically uh, summed up what it is to fucking write. In this fucking essay. But anyway. Uh, successfully, this character technically has depth. You see, the reason that he needs, needed Nakamura inexplicably is because he has had this inner conflict where he needs to be different. 
He will not admit that he is just like everybody else. He needs to be different. He needs to be superior. Nakamura gave him that by way of this sort of you're a deviant thing because Nakamura was acknowledging him as different. Nakamura was sort of an emotional crutch for him wherein he believed that what she was making him do – this also would explain why he actually allowed her to do a lot of what he, she did to him. Uh, she was sort of reaffirming – she was telling him, yeah, no, you totally are different, but in her like crass way and like you're different because you're a deviant and all this stuff. So while he didn't want to do these things because he's not a deviant, uh, she was giving him what he needed by acknowledging him as different. As a, He needed to be a special snowflake. He needed to tell – he had been telling himself he was a special snowflake, and he'd been miserable because basically it was, he was just trying to convince himself. And Nakamura was basically then sort of enabling that mindset that he is a special snowflake. And then uh, some events happened that were – that had caused this uh, self-image to crash down, which led to the psychological break that led him to admit that he doesn't actually read any of this shit. So congratulations, you have uh, character depth and a character arc. Now let me tell you why you're still a fucking failure. So I guess this show should be renamed to The Hipsters of Evil. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, yeah, your character has depth. Um, he's still an idiot. He's still unlikable. And he's not unlikable in a way that uh, sort of comes around and makes him en- like li- ent- like likable in that he is entertaining in his unlikability, like uh, Kanta and Desert Punk. He, he's not entertaining about it. We are just getting into the mindset of a shithead. Like, <laughs> he's not being entertaining about being a shithead. He's just a shithead meandering in his shitty life. Yeah, he's literally oh. so intolerable that he actually made me like Nakamura simply because she torments him. Yeah. Uh, like, okay, yeah, he's got character depth. He's also poorly written. His dialogue is insane, uh, especially his inner dialogue. Um, he still acts like a spaz, and everything about this is poorly written. So yes, technically, he has depth. It's poorly written depth in a god-awful story where he's still an idiot, but technically, because I will not ignore something that is correct simply to bash something, that's how I am, I have to acknowledge things, Be even if I have to give credit to something that is awful, technically, he has depth. He's still poorly written, poorly conceived, unlikable, and unwatchable, but okay. Hooray! He has depth. Okay, you didn't make him, you added no entertainment value or, or you know, um, redeemability for this show, but hey, you got a character with depth, so thumbs One up, asshole. One step at a time. You know, now I, now I actually just remembered what I wanted to say with him having like this little bit of depth, because his relationship with Saiki is basically the reverse gendered version of the relationship between Hisao and Rin. Because Rin is also a pretentious piece of shit who is completely hollow inside, and just like um, just like the main character of Katawa Shoujo, Saiki is totally baffled by that and thinks he's got like layers of depth, and that's that's why she thinks she loves him. It's like uh, you know that that one parody comic which has Hisao going, "Oh Rin, your pussy is so deep." That that's basically what that is, except with the genders flipped. Yeah. So technically he has depth, but there's nothing good about it. That's I mean that's like saying okay, technically your story has a beginning, a middle, and end, and then acting like that means it succeeds. Technically you have something that every story, or at least a story like yours, is supposed to have. 
Roto- like, rotoscope shoujo. Yeah, it's like it's like you know you want me to give you a pat on the back for doing your job, even though you still fucked up the rest of your job. It's like I you know I told you to do all this stuff, but hey, you came into work on time, so that's that's good. <laughs> you're an mate, you're employee of the month. But uh, I'm gonna read something, but I'm gonna change some things around. You see, Mark Twain, who if I think a lot of people forget how awesome Mark Twain was. I think, oh, he's a guy who wrote Huckleberry Finn. He did a lot of folksy stuff. Uh, not only was he a great writer, really great writer, but he was – I feel a kinship with Mark Twain. Mark Twain was a motherfucker. Mark Twain just said shit, but he had such a mastery of the English language, he could give you the most quite literally epic burn of all time. He would tell people the fuck off, and he would do it in such a flowery way where it was like you would have to take it. You, you couldn't make a comeback to Mark Twain. Mark Twain would burn you like a motherfucker. Uh, he he tore down several prominent artists and just basically said that they fucking sucked. And considering he's way more uh, popular and prominent than they are, I guess maybe he was onto something. Uh, he once had the epic quote that is is a quote for the ages, where he said, "Censorship is like telling a man that he may not eat a steak because a baby is incapable of doing so." And that is probably the most beautiful quote I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but he wrote an essay called Fenimore Cooper's Literary Offenses. This was uh, – Fenimore Cooper was an artist I – mean, not artist, an author that had that died long before Twain was even born. But he was very, um, very well-regarded, beloved, and it's much like the others. He was, really was like us. That's why I feel a kinship. He's like, I, f- I feel like Mark Twain, we would have been bros. We would have been bros. Like this incredibly popular artist was in fact crap. And this kind of the baffling, the feeling that we feel at the other side was like, how can you people like this? This is garbage and I have objective proof as to why. Look at the structure and all this shit. I'm going to read. Uh, he listed the problems. Well, let me see. Let me just read this first bit and then I will tell you how I, I will – all I have to do is replace the story that he is lambasting. The story of Fenimore Cooper is called The Deerslayer. All I have to do is replace it with Akunohana, and it still fucking works. I'm going to read the first bit and then the list of literary offenses, and I will simply replace Deerslayer with Akunohana. And I want you, Andrew, you, Max, and you, the folks at home, to watch how beautiful this actually works. In one place in Akunohana, and in the restricted space of two-thirds of a page, uh, the author, I don't know what the author is, Akunohana's name, so I'll just say the author, has scored 114 offenses against literary art out of a possible 115. It breaks the record. There are 19 rules governing literary art in the domain of romantic fiction. Some say 22. In Akunohana, the author violated 18 of them. These 18 require, one, that a tale shall accomplish something and arrive somewhere, but, Akunoh- but the Akunohana tale accomplishes nothing and arrives in the air. They require that the episodes of a tale shall be necessary parts of the tale and shall help to develop it. But as the Akunohana tale is not a tale and accomplishes nothing and arrives nowhere, the episodes have no rightful place in the work since there was nothing for them to develop. They require that the personages in a tale shall be alive, except in the case of corpses, and that always the reader shall be able to tell the corpses from the others. But this detail has often been overlooked in the Akunohana tale. They require that the personages of, that the personages in a tale, both dead and alive, shall exhibit 
exhibit a sufficient excuse for being there. But this detail has also been overlooked in the Akonohana tale. They require, no, number, we're at number five. They require that when the personages of a tale deal in conversation, the talk shall sound like human talk, and be talk such as human beings would likely to talk in the given circumstances, and have a discoverable meaning, also a discoverable purpose, and a show of rele- relevancy, and remain in the neighborhood of the subject in hand, and be interesting to the reader, and help out the tale, and stop when the people cannot think of anything more to say. But this requirement has been ignored from the beginning of the Akunohana tale to the end of it. They require that when the author describes the character of a personage in his tale, the conduct and conversation of that personage shall justify said description. But this law gets little or no attention in the Akunohana tale, as the characters will amply prove. They require that when a personage talks like an Okay, this one, uh, this, remember, this is old-timey talk here, and I'm not changing it. But it's still true and still applies to Akunohana. They require that when a personage talks like an illustrated, gilt-edged, tree-calf, hand-tooled, $7 friendships offering in the beginning of a paragraph, he shall not talk like a Negro minstrel in the end of it. But this rule is flung down and danced upon in the Akunohana tale. They require that crass stupidities shall not be played upon the reader as something like the craft of the woodsman, the delicate art of the forest, or in Akunohana's case, deep psychological shit, by either the author or the people in the tale. But this rule is persistently violated in the Akunohana tale. They require, number nine, they require that the personages of a tale shall confine themselves to possibilities and let miracles alone. Or, if they venture a miracle, the author must so plausibly set it forth as to make it look possible and reasonable. But these rules are not respected in the Akunohana tale. Number ten, they require that the author shall make the reader feel a deep interest in the personages of his tale and in their fate, and that he shall make the reader love the good people in the tale and hate the bad ones. But the reader of the Akunohana tale dislikes the good people in it and is indifferent to the others and wishes they would all get drowned together. They require that the characters in a tale shall be so clearly defined that the reader can tell beforehand what each will do in a given emergency. But the Akunohana tale, but in the Akunohana tale, this rule is vacated. In addition to these large rules are some little ones. These require that the author shall, 12, say what he is proposing to say, not merely come near it. 13, use the right word, not its second cousin. 14, eschew surpluses, meaning keep it brief. 15. Not omit necessary details. 16. Avoid slovenliness of form. 17. Use good grammar. 18. Employ a simple and straightforward style. Even these seven are coldly and persistently violated in the Akunohana tale. Fucking Mark Twain, you are a fucking prophet. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) I hear you clapping. Tell me all of that did not apply to Akunohana. It did. He was criticizing works before they even existed. (laughs) <laughs> Mark, I, I fucking love Mark Twain Everybody should read that It is long as hell But uh, it really is fucking amazing Just to see this man This uh, coveted author just tear a motherfucking Mark Twain was brilliant at tearing a motherfucker down And he truly was an inspiration Like I'm going to Just reading again I'm just going to read the last bit Of the literary offenses Again replacing names Because again it applies so perfectly 
I may be mistaken, but it does seem to me that Akunohana is not a work of art in any sense. It does seem to me that it is destitute of every detail that goes into making the, into the making of a work of art. In truth, it seems to me that Akunohana is just simply a literary delirium tremens. A work of art, it has no invention. It has no order, system, sequence, or result. It has no lifelikeness, no thrill, no stir, no seeming of reality. Its characters are confusedly drawn, isn't that great? <laughs> and by their acts and words, they prove that they are not the sort of people the author claims that they are. Its humor is pathetic. Its pathos is funny. Its conversations are... Oh, indescribable. It's love scenes odious. It's English or just speech, a crime against the language. Counting these out, what's left is technically art. I think we must all admit that. <laughs> Fucking perfect. <laughs> oh, God. How did he know? <laughs> Fucking Time Lord or something. I would also recommend reading uh, Fenimore Cooper's Literary Offense because in like that bit I just read and some other stuff later on down the line, he pretty much states flat out how you write a fucking story. In those 18 literary offenses, Mark Twain says flat out, this is how you write. And there's no arguing with it. Not only was he a fantastic writer, but this is so fucking true. Every little bit that he said, like even down to the, the slightest detail is how you write a story. And if you look at competently written stories, they possess what he writes there. And also, if you look at something like Akunohana, you can see it, too, uh, commits all 18 of these literary offenses. Deer Slayer kind of sounds like ye old twilight. <laughs> it was a... Uh, uh, Fenimore Cooper wrote a lot of like romantic story of the woodsman. Nice. So it's like if Twilight only had the werewolves. Just about, but without the romance. But it was sort of like romanticizing the woodsman. Oh, the brave woodsman and his journey, and he is so wise about nature. Sounds fucking boring. Yeah, and and even Mark Twain attacked this, that like, uh, in the whole thing, like the whole, the craft of the woodsman, the delicate art of the forest, like he was saying, like, the stuff that they called this was stupid. Like, these characters are being literally stupid, and you're just saying, oh, no, that's just the way of the woodsman. No, it's stupid. And that applies here. Like, you're being stupid. Oh, no, he's just, it's deep and psychological. No, he's just being stupid. Like, again, with the depth of his, like, the technical depth that he has. Like, yeah, he was going along with Nakamura because it fed a need, a, a psychological need he had. But he was still being stupid. He was being an idiot. <laughs> so... Like, truth is timeless. Yep. And that is what Mark Twain has taught us, who is a brilliant fucking man. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, yeah, so the last episode, I guess. Yeah, we because just, that, yeah, that one. That was a huge... I, I know I did a whole huge thing, but back to what we were talking about. Yeah. So the last episode gets even, quote-unquote, better. Because after they got back from their little excursion... Uh, there's been like a month after that, and it's summer, and he's basically acting like, well, as his friends describe him, acting like a dead fish. And uh, Psyche doesn't like him anymore, and they break up. And uh, then he's like sitting in his room, being emo, and then suddenly he has another spaz attack, and takes a picture of Baudelaire and snaps it in half, and throws his <laughs> books from the bookshelves. Once again... A thing that someone who likes books would never do. But leaving that aside. 
Well, he's admitted at this point he doesn't actually. Yeah, exactly. So he trashes his room, and uh, then he starts writing, and then tears out the page again, and then he realizes like. I I should be there for Nakamura. How could I have been so blind? Now she's gonna be all alone. That poor girl. And uh, he sees himself in, a, in, as we find out, a dream sequence where he's like, where the sky is red, and he's walking through a field of flowers. It's it's a dark matter field. It's basically yeah. a bunch of little dark matter flowers. And then he goes to Nakamura, and uh, she's saying something to him like. Uh, I thought you were one of my type of people. And it's like, you're a liar. And then she turns away from him. And he's like, Nakamura! And then suddenly there's like a storm. And everything turns into that uh, one white room from Dragon Ball Z. And the flowers are flying everywhere because art. Oh, did did you get the same, like, draw the same parallel idea where it was like the last scene in Evangelion with the congratulations where the world shattered yeah. and everyone was standing on the big blue ball clapping? It was, it was kind of yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like that. I, I was that sphere goes away like from a, Shinji. Yeah. I, I was half yeah. expecting, like, to see a bisected Nakamura in the background somewhere. <laughs> I'm not talking about Andrew's just... Evangelion. I'm talking about the last episode of the TV show. Oh, yeah, the world of perfect freedom. Yeah, where, where everything Yeah, like shat- Onion Head and... Um... Yeah, everyone from his class shows up. Congratulations! <laughs> no, You've just had a personal revelation that you're a hipster piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he already had that in episode ten, but then he ignored it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's like the end of episode eleven, and uh, the series is supposed to go two episodes further, but you know, whatever. It says at the beginning of every episode, it says like episode seven out of thirteen. Yeah. But you know what I did? I actually read parts of some manga, like see, like some of the middle parts and the uh, the currently last chapter. And I'm gonna save that last chapter for last because it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, what what happens after this whole bullshit is like he and Nakamura basically do a suicide plot and plan to set themselves on fire in front of the entire school. Uh, it fails. Uh, by the way, when he's doing that, his father is trying to prevent him from killing himself by burning. And he's like, fuck you, shitworm, you're just another one of these fucking drones like everyone else. Fuck off, I hate you. Oh, I should Why point out, uh, Shinji 2's father is one of the few legitimately likable characters. He is a le- realistic man. Uh, he's... He has a good head on his shoulders. He's a decent dude. He's one of the few characters that's actually decent in this fucking thing. And then he tries to be a good father, even though it's wasted on that little shit heel. Yeah, yeah, that's the, probably the biggest thing. He is legitimately trying to be a good, decent father who loves his son. Yeah. And, but, and but, then but instead his Nakamura son is going like, him for his trouble. Yeah, yeah, but then instead his son is going like, Why did you even marry mom? You're just another one of them, aren't you? Fuck you, you asshole. <laughs> Because, you know, he's so likable. We needed to add to that. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that fails. And there's a whole bunch of more bullshit. And Saiki is batshit crazy. And then takes her clothes off in front of him. And then wants to bone him. And uh, is already, like, in grabbing inside of his pants. And then suddenly he decides that he doesn't want to. Even though he was already lying on the ground and, like, tongue-fucking her. And uh, he, and then literally what he says then when he pushes her away is, No! I love Nakamura! Are you serious? I am serious. I'm totally serial. 
but no, all joking aside, he really did say that. Well, like like I told you, she fulfilled that psychological need he had. Yeah. You know what the best part is? The last, the currently last chapter, because it's apparently after a time skip, and guess who he's dating now? Neither of them. Yeah, some random third chick who is completely bland and apparently wants to be a novelist or some shit. <laughs> who has absolutely nothing interesting about her. It's like, oh my god, this is so... Well, it's just setting up for him to leave her. Yeah. Nakamura just... will probably come back and be like, oh, and he'll leave her. Yeah. Actually, actually, I don't even think this will happen because this... Um, Akunohana is classified by Wikipedia as a Bildungsroman which is sort of, of a term for a tale that's supposed to impart something on you and uh, mostly is referred to as to coming-of-age stories. Because here's what I'm going to predict is going to happen. Like, uh, he's going to... like I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure the series will be over soon. Like, he's going to be together with that third girl because now he's happy and so on and because she isn't, like, crazy or emotionally abusive. So, you see, the entire thing was really just like a coming-of-age story for him, where he learned what love really is, and that he shouldn't be together with, like, crazy people or whatever, and who gives a fuck about Nakamura anymore? Now he's finally got some chick that is, like, normal, and he nah, can be not, normal. They're not gonna do that, they're gonna, they're gonna, because the whole point is, it's not with him finding out what love is, it's just him exploring this whole, I don't want to conform bullshit. Yeah, but, but that like the, I thought that's like the end conclusion would be that he would finally be content with being a unremarkable piece of shit. No, he won't be content because this isn't the kind of author. I can already tell you what's going to happen. He'll accept it and he'll be miserable and be like, he, like one cannot. Es-. It's like a whole thing. Like you can't escape the evil cycle. Yeah, or or maybe simply Nakamura dies because he left her alone, and he's like, <laughs> "This was my only glimpse into a, a better world." Also, there was this one really beautiful manga panel <laughs> where he where he was talking with... This was still when he was talking with Saiki and saying, I love Nakamura. You know what he said immediately after that? What? For her, I will create the other side. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my god, everything makes sense now. He was Cody all along. Ah! <laughs> Hell no! Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, it's alternate universe other side. <laughs> He's, he's so gonna be talking about. He's gonna be talking about how good pretentious shit and, and French poetry is. And <laughs> so, which one of us is Nakamura? <laughs> Max. <laughs> shut you're up. Saiki, shut Andrew. up, fuckface. Oh no. <laughs> no, you're you're uh, uh, you're alternate universe Nakamura because she's about like deviancy, and you're like all into crazy porn and shit. <laughs> And how did you know? <laughs> and Andrew is psyche because uh, he seems the most normal of us, but he has like the dark, crazy side that we saw when we watched Astronaut's Toy. <laughs> yeah. Also, psyche did in fact try to rape him. So. <laughs> oh God, Andrew! No. <laughs> Andrew, stay away. Uh, Andrew, banana, no. <laughs> <laughs> and banana, no. <laughs> I want you to meet the enforcer. I want to be na- I want to be named Nakamura. Fine, Nakamura, whatever. I don't care. Joanne Banana, the night of his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looks like you're basing that turkey there, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna hunt. It's pretty fucking terrible. Can, can I just 
predict how I want it to end? Well, I think we can. We already know how it's going to end, but sure, shoot. I, I just want all of them to die. Well, yeah, that's what's going to happen because eventually, you know, Doctor Tambo is going to roll into town. No, like just have America nuke the town out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually Nagasaki all along. That's the twist. That's why they didn't have any internet. It's the 1940s. <laughs> oh God! Surprise! What a twist! It shows the mushroom cloud and it has an eyeball on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big artistic ending. The eyeball opens on the mushroom cloud. Fade to black. Uh, Dark matter is finally free. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the end of Evangelion song comes through that talk because why not? And they're like, they're like, that's what the fucking white space was in his little dream where he was walking through the dark matter flowers and they all spread and it was all endless white. It was, it was, I don't know if anyone, to everyone who's played Kirby knows Zero, which is the core of dark matter, the big white eyeball that shoots its blood at you. Yeah. It was like fucking hitting, like he, he walked to the core of all that dark matter and now he's at zero. Yeah. It also explains why the back, why the sky was red and why all the buildings were fucked. <laughs> fucking dark matter. But I can't take this shit anymore. <laughs> The show is Kirby fanfiction that got out of hand. <laughs> Darker and edgier Kirby fanfiction. Like Dark Matter, just after Kirby beat him the second time in Kirby 64, he got knocked to an alternate universe. Now he's stuck. He's like at a, at a fraction of his power, so he can't, like, he's not the big space cloud going to planets and take, and eating them. No, now he's just stuck, like, in a book and in this guy's head. He can't really possess him, but he can make him into a bitch. <laughs> he's just grasping at straws something he's desperate to get the fuck out of here I think he's just trying maybe he's trying to drive this kid to suicide he's like once he kills himself I'll be free well he already tried once <laughs> Dark Matter was like no why didn't he set himself on fire why didn't it work why someone rescued him fuck no I was so close freedom eventually uh Eventually, uh, Dr. Tambo is going to roll up and just kind of drive by, shoot him, like not even look at him, just the G- the big, the Jeep will drive by. All of a sudden, you hear like rats round and round, like get louder and louder from the distance. <laughs> she drives by without stopping and just pulls her hand out and just blows his head off at the problem solver. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Dark Adder escapes from like his neck hole and like flies into the sky like, freedom! Dark, I mean, only Dark Matter can't talk, but now he can, because fuck it. Freedom! So he was right when he called himself a flower of evil. Yeah, and, then, and then Dr. Tambo just looks up and says, you're welcome. <laughs> He's driving. <laughs> round and round! Love, final way to end. Fade to black. <sighs> that is how Flowers of Evil is going to end. <laughs> Just dark matter. That's the actually actual conflict going on. Dark matter is trapped in this kid's head. Is trying to escape. He's tried. He's tried making this kid depressed, so he'll kill himself. It's not working. Because he's he such made- an emo bitch, he gets stronger from being a whiny faggot. He's like, he's <laughs> such an emo. He's such a little bitch. He's too much of a little bitch to go ahead, go through with killing himself. So he finds this crazy girl in dark matter, like. Uh, put in his head, like, coaxed him into becoming friends with her because it thought, like, if he becomes friends with her, she'll, like, probably kill him or something. She's really unhinged. Like, he'll do something she doesn't want to do and she'll fucking slit his throat or something. Then I'll be free. Yes! And then, like, she doesn't do it. She's just, like, a fucking crappy Hazama knockoff. And he's like, ah! <laughs> and then she rapes him. 
It's like Doc Matter. It's like Nakamura Banana. No. Oh, she knows. Just kill this kid, please. That's the thing. She she's the villain of this thing, and all she knows how to do is talk to people and undress this guy because he can't defend himself. All, all she knows is gym clothes and <laughs> talking and rape. <laughs> and then finally, like they're at the suicide pact, and he's like, "Yes, yes, yes, do it, do it, go, go, go." And he's like, he's like thinking about all the things he's gonna do once he's free. He's like, "I'm gonna get all my strength back, and I'm gonna eat this planet. It's gonna be so great." I'm gonna go through space again. I'm gonna see if this universe has that fucking pop star. And I'm gonna get this universe and fucking Kirby. And it's gonna be great. I'm gonna think about, oh man, it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna take over the universe all over again. And all of a sudden, like he, like I think it was Nakamura that pushed him like off the thing, like in yeah. the river or something. Like no, like just like as soon as she pushes him, there's like a slow mo. No, from Dark Matter. No. <laughs> And like, and like, as he's pulled out, if you listen carefully, you can hear him up. <laughs> you know, as 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 they were about to burn themselves, I kind of had that like that one song from Breaking Bad stuck in my head. You know, bonfire. <laughs> that would have been so great if they actually did. They should do that in the uh, they should do that in the anime. Like, actually have them kill themselves by burning themselves and play that. If only there's a time for an anime-only ending. Or maybe we didn't start the fire. <laughs> but eventually it's just going to end, like, like I said, as, as far as I'm concerned, unless the story contradicts it, it's going to end with Dr. Tambo rolling up in the Jeep and just blowing his head off without breaking. Just a drive-by shotgun blast to the face. Freeze dark matter, and it's a happy ending. <laughs> that's what the real I'm, like. That's my fucking. I see. I fixed this show too. That's the real conflict. That's the real problem. Poor dark matter got knocked out of his home universe. Woke up inside this kid's fucking head with a fucking like the only the only way he can express himself in the real world is these little symbolic hallucinations and this book cover that he put himself on somehow. It's like a weird universal time space hiccup. He just ended up on this book cover, make an image of him. And that's like the symbol, because dark matter's in his head. That's why he keeps like the flower of evil symbol. Because dark matter is just trying to get out. That's why, like in the beginning, like the flower of evil eye slowly opens. It's not a symbol thing. It's dark matter, and he's just ended up in this universe. Like the fuck. That's why he paints the symbol on the classroom. Yeah, it's like it's in his head. He can't help it. Yeah, it's a subconscious thing of dark matter trying to get out. That's why the eye is like rolling back upward. It's dark matter, like exasperatedly screaming, "Yeah, I just want to get out of here." So yeah, that's that's the that's the real that's the real conflict that's going. And then the moment he escapes, he probably gets blown up by Kirby again. <laughs> just happens to be <laughs> passing by. There's a moment he escapes, he finds like alternate universe pop star. He gets beat by Kirby again, and then and then it's another universe, and the cycle keeps repeating. And he he ends up in another emo bitch's head, and it's like no. Yeah. Truly, his fate is like that of Sparkle Lord. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but okay. Go read Doctor McNinja. Oh, that's right. I don't read that. You do. But anyone who reads Document Ninja does know. Uh, yeah, that's the real. That's what Aquanahan is actually about. That's how we're fixing this. That's what it's really about. It's about one displaced video game villain's struggle for freedom <laughs> and the crappy bitch boy body that he's stuck in. <laughs> like, that's why it's so painful to watch him because we're experiencing Dark Matter's pain. Like, oh God, just. Like, he's just hovering over gym clothes. Oh. And he's smelling them. 
Oh, God, no, just, like, there are little actions where Dark Matter is yelled loud enough to where he is forced to obey, whereas, like, when he puts them in the box that's, like, totally not conspicuous, just taped and double-taped and taped over and poorly hidden, I was Dark Matter, just get rid of it, just put it away, I don't want to see you sniffing it anymore, just put it away! <laughs> it's just basically like she's locked into him and feels and sees everything he does, but yeah, can't like, do anything. Like a- it's like the ending of being John Malkovich. It's like the guy's stuck in his head and just has to live his life but can't control him. Like, no! And, uh, I can't believe I, I, I'm probably the only one that even fucking knows that or saw being John Malkovich. It's a pretentious ass movie, don't watch. Although it's fucking hilarious unintentionally. I would recommend watching it. It's kind of like The Room, but not in, as infamous. It's just so fucking stupid and great in its stupidness. Um. Akuno Room. Yeah, it's just about. Yeah, the Aquanaut. I mean, Andrew, I know you found great joy in its stupidity. I really couldn't. Yeah. It it made me so angry at how stupid these people are. And the fucking nine minutes of nothing was just fucking inexcusable. I told you to skip that episode. It has nothing. I didn't know how right you were. I mean, I thought, like, it was just going to be boring. I didn't know it was nine minutes of slow walking in real time. Yeah. It's like some Andy Warhol shit. It, like, had one setup, and that one gets recapped in the next episode. <laughs> word for word. But uh, I think we need to talk about some of the music in this thing. Oh, oh uh, God, the ending, the ending, oh, God! Yeah, that's pretty much what we need to talk about. I didn't even know they had speaking spells in Japan. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. One of y'all is going to have to describe this, because I'm not going to be able to get through it with uh, words. I'm just going to degenerate into babbling. So, and the worst part about the ending is they start playing it before the episode ends. So Jack JoJo swag. Yeah. Yes. Because JoJo's Bizarre Adventure did it brilliantly because it's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and when it does things, it does it brilliantly. Uh, because it had Yes's Roundabout, what it did, the last scene of each episode would be accompanied by that intro acoustic guitar lick from Roundabout, which fit, which fit great with the ending scenes of the episode. Yeah. And plus it told you, things are winding down, but cool stuff's still happening. Here's a little bit of yes, just kind of jamming on this electric, on this acoustic guitar to sort of set the mood for, to, to gradually pull you into the end and all that stuff. This decides to do the same thing, but with, I don't want to say but with crap, cause that sounds too generic and easy. It's not even music. Like the ending theme is, is just the same few words repeated over and over in this monotone. Like, the, the lyrics are just, there is a flower. The flower is blooming. There and it is hates a flower. The wind. And it hates the wind. Yeah. It's a great way to learn Japanese, though. It's like there it was made by the Rosetta Stone people. There should be a flower, uh, but it was there. Yes, it was there. You know, it's it's like Skrillex tried to do a really pretentious an- anime ending with a speaking spell. It's like two minutes of just ha na na ga say ta yeah. yeah and I, don't, I don't think you're properly uh, portraying how awful this sounds because of the goofy electronic voice, but it's trying to be art. And it's, and it's oh, it's done. You see, it's done in two different uh, clashing tones and, and tempos, so that it gives you a feeling of uneasiness. And no, it's just it's just noise. It's just noise. Stop trying to act like it's art. Stop trying to act like it means anything. It is noise. I don't even care what they were going for. They failed. It's noise. It's not music. But it's basically the lyrics sound like... 
that's the end. That there you go. There's the <laughs> ending song for you. I that that's music. No, it's totally art. It's totally trying to uh, convey a feeling of uneasiness, and it shows you how twisted uh, it really is. And it's, it's, there's nothing twisted about Akunohana. There's nothing twisted about it. Made me uneasy with how bad it is. <laughs> it it really is just noise. It's just fucking noise. And Sorry, of course it has these flowers everywhere. Yeah, it's got dark matter looking at all the credits. Like, I think it's just him like trying to reaffirm it to make himself feel better. Like, is it over? It's over, right? <laughs> the episode's over. I get a break. It explains the last picture because it's like a flower looking directly at us. So it's like dark matter looking at the viewer. Please, someone get me out of here. He's, he's, he's looking at the credits because he wants to know all the people he's going to get revenge on. <laughs> yeah, once he's free, yeah. <laughs> this wreaks havoc. Um, it's, it's really See, fucking bad. I'm gonna get you and you and especially you, Mister Animator. <laughs> uh, see again, we fixed this show. We fixed this fucking show too, because that's what we do with the other side now. Ever since that, ever since the side of Uda episode, that's like a thing we do now. We fucking fix every shitty show that we come across. Also, the the opening is kind of weird because they intersperse the opening with short little scenes and dialogue snippets of stuff that happens later in the episode. So I don't know what the point of that is, except to seem arty. Yeah, why give an episode preview of something of the episode you're on? Yeah. And, and then they don't do it at the end of the episodes. Yeah, and the opening is also nothing else than the flower with the roots and shit, and it's like a bland beige background with Japanese writing on it that nobody can read. I guess it's the lyrics or something. I don't know. But that's that's what's there. Well, I would assume the Japanese can read it. Yeah. But uh, I guess maybe it's the lyrics. The subtitles didn't say anything. But uh, yeah, that, that's all well, there is. The subtitles for me did say something. It's just the opening credits. Oh, so it literally is the lyrics. No, you, no, 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 no. The, the, the words are the opening credits. It's the credits. Because when I watched it, it was subtitled. Hmm. I don't know where you saw it. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't s- tell me you watched it without subtitles. Yeah, of course I watched it with subtitles. <laughs> but I mean, when the when the opening was playing, of course the subtitles said what was being sung, obviously, but it didn't say what the writing on these weird backgrounds. Oh, was. okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't get that either. I think it was just opening credits. Because yeah. they usually don't sub opening credits. I know you don't watch a lot of fan subs. Fan subs generally don't sub opening credits. Yeah. That's why that there was no subs there. It wasn't that it was the lyrics, it was that they don't sub opening credits in fan subs. Yeah. And uh yeah, so this this show actually has four different openings as we previously established because each one is like since it's 13 episodes, like there's an increments of 3 each one is sung except episode 10 where there's no opening, which is uh just as fitting because it's one of the most boring episodes because it's just Nakamura and the main character meandering through the forest while they try to go over the hill. But uh, yeah, so like the first three episodes have the opening with the main character singing it and I like the first line because it summed him up so perfectly which was, I'm a piece of shit. That was Nakamura's opening, yeah. No, that was not Nakamura's opening, that was his. I'm pretty sure Nakamura's opening is the one that opened with I'm a piece of shit. Uh, no, she she called everyone else a piece of shit. Oh, okay, but okay, the, yeah, 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 first, you're right, you're right. In the first three open in the first three episodes, the opening was that guy, and he called himself one. 
Then, okay, yeah, you're right, then you're episodes right. four to six is like Nakamura insulting everyone and saying that she's a pervert and proud of it. Okay, now, yeah, okay, you're right. I remember now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then the episodes six to nine are that psyche bitch singing, which is like trying to be a more lovey dovey song. Oh, please don't abandon me. Blah, 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 blah. And the last one is just random bullshit, which is even more pretentious. And uh, all these openings have like one th- have like several things in common, like uh, especially the last part because they're all singing about flowers of evil, but you know from their perspective. So in the first opening, it's like the main character being emo about it. In the second one, it's like Nakamura saying like despair spread everywhere, and I hope everyone gets fucked or something like that. And in the last, uh, I mean, in the one with the uh, sidekick chick, she's like, these flowers taste like honey or something, and uh, don't bloom or you'll spread their roots of evil. I don't even know what the fuck. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's crazy. This world is nothing but coal, coal, coal. <laughs> Let me show you what I call the truth. The truth called propane. I'll tell you what. That's that's all I heard when Nakamura was being crazy. Just how can I tie this to propane? <coughs> Endless propane. <laughs> I'm gonna burn this world with clean, burning, efficient propane. <laughs> like, damn it, Bobby. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, force a habit. See, here's another <laughs> another thing. I'm entering into the other side. Bad animes, all one shared universe canon. Nakamura is actually the reincarnation of Hank Hill. Uh, <laughs> he snapped. <laughs> yeah, what happened was Hank Hill uh, was in a previous universe, and then when the universe was obliterated uh, the last time from uh, you know the Tambo nurse conflict ended with the last because the universe has been obliterated and rewritten several times throughout this timeline, much like much like Blaze Blue. And when it's rewritten, everything's a little different, much like Blaze Blue. And this time, Hank Hill. Was re, re uh, was born in this world, but this time he was reincarnated as a uh, teenage Japanese schoolgirl. But he retains all his old memories. He remembers his old life in Arlen, Texas, and his family and all that shit. And he couldn't really handle what he went through and what happened, so he fucking snapped. So now he's just trying to burn the world, and he's obsessed with propane. And <laughs> like. That's all he can remember is just he wants the world to burn because he hates this new world because it's not his. And also propane, propane, propane. It doesn't really explain why he constantly humps the main character's leg, so. He re- no, she doesn't really hump the main character's leg. She's trying to make him into a deviant to burn the world. <laughs> That's why she wants to, quote, burn the world. She wants to do it with clean burning fuel. Yeah, I, I mean, Christ, like that classroom scene was basically like a... The most remote way to portray a sex scene I've ever seen. Like I, I, I can almost imagine her, like that that scene where they were uh, uh, under in the rain under the tree. She could have practically been sipping a beer and she goes, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to find his way back to Strickland. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she wants to go over the hill, or he, I guess. Hank Zama wants to go over the hill. Because he believes that's where Strickland propane is. Also because he's the king of the hill. Yeah, he's the king of the hill. He wants to get back to his hill. (laughs) It's like memories of his past life. I keep remembering the name Hill. Hill. Maybe if I go over the hill, I'll have my answers. I'll tell you what. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you what. I want to watch this world burn. 
It's like he has memories of his past life, but not clearly. He's trying to retain it, and it's just the the memories uh, aching at him have caused him to snap. Well, yeah. <laughs> like I, he's trying to he's trying to just seek the answers. He he just has images of Arlen and Strickland propane, and <laughs> he keeps here just the name the word hill in his mind hill. He wants to go over the hill to look for answers. Maybe the hill has the answers that he seeks. The ending theme is how he interprets Boomhauer's speech. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to remember what Boomhauer told him. Like, ah, uh, It's actually, you think it's like the flower bloomed. That's just how it sounds. Like It's like a Japanese portmanteau. Not portmanteau. Uh, what's the word where you think you hear something else? Uh, Mondegreen. It's yeah. like a mo- Japanese mondegreen of Boomhauer's speech. It's actually, bo- like, boy, I tell you what, a dang old flower, dang old thing, I get over it, man. It's the place that they tell you, they're strickling. That's what you give, that's where you go, and you won't be fine. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's what's actually, it's actually Boomhauer. <laughs> like a memory of Boomhauer. <laughs> but as a mondegreen, it, it sounds like the flower bloomed and it hates the wind. <laughs> And the and the speaking spell is because it's fragmented in his mind. <laughs> his mind is clouded. So it's actually that's the real story. It's a dual conflict. Dark matter's trying to escape, and Hank Hill is stuck in this alternate universe as a Japanese schoolgirl with fragments of his old memories, and he's just kind of lost it, and he's trying to find out who he is. <laughs> Tell me that's not a better fucking story. <laughs> Let's just make this another anime fixed. Yeah. Oh, and by the, by, the, by the way, that whole thing with the main character constantly claiming that he's not a pervert is in itself pretty hilarious, because he obviously is. I mean, aside from the fact that he, like, stole the gym clothes and sniffed them... But he's and, not even really a good pervert. He didn't, like, rub it on his dick or masturbate on it or anything. Yeah, that's, just, that's, that's because he's too dickless. He just took it and then put it in a box. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, there's this scene where he is uh, in the forest with Nakamura and it's raining and shit, and they're just sitting under the tree, which apparently doesn't do anything because they're still getting wet. And uh, she's, like, talking about something, and she says, like, yeah, we should go to sleep so that we can drive on again tomorrow with a, like, bicycle. And he looks to her, and we see everything, like, from from his perspective in that in that one bit part. And... The first thing he looks at is, is literally her tits. Like, he's like, oh, wet t-shirt, I can see her bra. And, and then he's, that, all sh- he's all timid, like, me. Yeah, and then he looks at her crotch. Yeah, and poor Dark Matter had to see all this. <laughs> ah! We're, so, we're just so going to keep doing this, though. We're just going to keep fucking fixing shows. We see a bad show. <laughs> and then we just come up with a scenario that makes it great. It makes it enjoyable. We did it. We fucking did it again. <laughs> See, we're we, we're fucking masters of this craft. We're fucking like you. Just give the other side a shitty show, and we'll make it good. Just just give us a little time. We'll come up with something. We'll just shoot back and forth like this. We'll have a discussion. Next thing you know, we'll come out of the room like, yeah, we we fixed it. It's good now. Here's the premise. Just put this in your head when you watch it, and it becomes enjoyable. Still can't fix Boku no Pico. Well, that's that is part of the overall timeline. <laughs> Yeah, technically we fixed it. Yeah. Uh, by, we, by, we just can't make it enjoyable to watch it. Yeah. But we, we fixed it uh sort of by association. Yeah. By being part of the Tanbo nurse timeline. But uh yeah, that's uh, we should be charging for this shit. 
We should be we should be get people like charging money for the shit. We're, we're going around fixing your shows, bitch. The other side, we'll write your fanfiction. <laughs> It'll be amazing. See, we if it's it's a shame we're not losers because we could totally write fanfiction. It'd be great. It'd be like it'd be like thirty H's, but it'd be great. And for those who don't know what thirty H's is, look it up. And it's not don't type thirty H's. It's the letter H thirty times. And, yeah, it's that kind of story. Yeah, and you'll you'll be pleasantly surprised. So I think we've covered everything. Yep. Yep. So, so uh, from all of us here at the other side, I'm Cody By. I'm Nick Wado. I'm Andrew Erickson. Saying, Akinohana sure is terrible, I tell you what. And the people cried out in terror. This is the bonus round on MMS 3000. <laughs> so moving on, we have Akunohana. The psychological romance. This, quote, corrupt pure love story, end quote, revolves around Takao Kasuga, a bookish boy who loves the poems of Charles Baudelaire. Do you know who that is? Because I don't. No. Even Max don't know who that is. That's fucking. <laughs> I'm 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 not really that much into most of poetry. Oh, I'm oh, more I, into you know my favorite poem is the Lady of Pain. So yeah. Yeah, well, you're the literature guy, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, one day after school, he discovers and steals the gym clothes of Nanako. God, of Nanako Saiki, the girl he has a crush on. However, however, he learns that Sawa Nakamura, a girl he loathes, happens to catch him in the act. Nakamura blackmails Kasuga into a contract, or else she will reveal his secret. What an asshole. This is like fucking hentai, and this is, I don't know, this is, looks dumb. This is like, if you want to act like, this is more than just a normal romance. No, it's more high school shit, it's just darker. Yeah, also this whole poem shit that sounds sort of like Twilight when they were name-dropping Shakespeare, and you know, it gives the impression that the main character is intelligent. Yeah, and the the... the the preview picture kind of looks like Dark Matter from Kirby looking away, looking down <laughs> at the city, like he's going to fucking attack it. And I guess he's firing black lightning at it. I don't know. Maybe Kirby's going to come from the side of there, fucking with a with some rainbow weapon, fucking yeah, fight him. police only when the city is already destroyed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. This, this, this is... Looks like I don't, I don't think this is going to be more like a loser show for loser people, but this looks like it's going to be goofy. Yeah, the premise is terrible. Like, way to make us not like your main character, dipshits. Yeah. Or or none of your cast, really. You know, fucking pretentious, goofy, stupid, moving on. We have Shingeki no Kyojin, also known as Attack on Titan. Shingeki no Kyojin is about the last remnants of humanity that have gathered in walled cities to protect themselves from human-devouring titans who now rule the world. Aaron Yeager and his adoptive sister Mikasa Ackerman live in such a city, surrounded by monolithic walls. For decades, members of the Scouting Legion have been the only humans who dared to leave the safety of the walls and gather information on the Titans. Every time they return, many of them are dead. Freedom-loving Aaron has no greater wish than to join them. Not gonna lie, 
This could be cool. Though I don't think they know what actually, what Titan actually means. Then, well, I, they're using colloquial Titan, something this big. And of course the moon on Jupiter. So, I mean, who knows? It could play into the mythical Titans. Though I do wonder why their names are Germany and Englishy. Well, you know what though? That's usually a good sign. <laughs> yeah, to say. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's usually, it's sad to say, it sounds xenophobic, but I mean, I've seen enough animated now, if it's usually a good sign if their names are foreign sounding. Yeah, like Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid, Frank Yeager. Yeah. Uh, Who was the crazy cyborg ninja? Exactly. Kicked your ass. But, uh, if you just, I mean, because I, I think one of the things that says is they're not worried about the Japanese xenophobia, they're more able to take a risk and, and have an art, and commit to their art direction. Yeah, uh, that, that picture is kind of cool, actually. Yeah, so this one, don't be another Maoyu. Don't be another show that has a lot of promise, and I get all excited about it, and it turns into shit. Don't do that to me again. Please be good. I'm hoping this is good. Please, 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 please be good, because this could be bitching. If it works, if it plays out right, if it doesn't fuck up, Shingeki no Kyojin, or whatever that'll get translated to, could be bitching. Please be bitching. I'm begging you, be bitching. And then we turn in, it's probably about sister fucking. <laughs> Please don't. I don't see romance in there, so that's a good sign. And a little bunch of, you know, genre things. It's action, superpower, fantasy, tragedy. So, done by production IG, it's going to be pretty. So she's probably going to die and then he'll fuck her. <laughs> no, if he, if he fucked her, it would say romance. So, you know, cautious optimism. Cautious optimism. Please be good. Please be good. So moving on, we have something I will never watch in a million years. Kakumeki Valvrave, new original mecha anime from Sunrise. Are we not tired of these yet? I mean, really, who? They're all the same at this point. I mean, just look at it. Just look at this thing. It's the same as every other... I mean, I guess military drama? Maybe if you're into that, I guess I could see it. I don't know. These mecha anime just all run together and look the same at this point. Well, if I wanted to watch that, I watched Gundam. Hmm, it's all just Gundam. It's more and more of this, like, this new sleek future thing slapped on Gundam. It's like Final Fantasy XIII's aesthetic on Gundam, over and over, like, more and more and more. They they need a new version of the future. They should do a Warhammer anime. <laughs> it's yeah, like I... gothic architecture, dark blood death. I, I I'm not into Warhammer, but I'd watch that. It'd be something different. Uh, but then again, they'd probably cutesy everything up. <laughs> yeah, but if they didn't think of how awesome that would be, like with really high-quality animation on the Forces of Chaos, for example, come some somewhere, now that would be awesome. I mean, you know, what I know about Warhammer, what's the name of that crazy-ass orc hero that, like, just did shit for the hell of it? That just fucked shit up, like, would crash into shit on a fucking motorcycle? Oh, yeah, Vastaga Gutsmack. Yeah, make an anime about him. I'll be on that shit. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. His, his entire goal is nothing but creating the biggest intergalactic road, basically, from point A of the universe to point B, and going having like a gigantic motorcycle war-bar-brawl combination through the entire galaxy. <laughs> that I could get behind. That's probably, you know, I'm not big into Warhammer, but I love that guy. Give me an anime about that guy. Fuck this shit with this fucking... Oh, I bet I bet this will have orchestrated flighty music. Bet you money. And uh, drama. Yeah. 
And like, oh no, he's been hit by the enemy super beam. We gotta use our special such and such powers, which only have now been introduced to defeat him. And, you know, fucking... I'm 16, but I'm a whiz mecha pilot. I'm better than people who've trained all their life. Yeah, and the white-haired guy's probably gonna be either the rival or the rival who turns evil or the villain. Yeah. It's one of those three, guaranteed. Just give me a fucking anime about that crazy-ass orc from Warhammer and fuck this shit. And moving on, we have... This is gonna be a hit with this 15-year-old crowd. Yeah. Suisse no Gargantia. In the far future, the Human Galactic Alliance, which is in every other anime, <laughs> has been constantly fighting for its survival against a race of beings called the Hidiaz... generic Willensia. Yeah, monsters. Uh, during battle, the young Lieutenant Rado and his humanoid mobile weapon Chamber are swallowed up in a distortion of time and space. Waking from his artificially induced hibernation, arrives on Earth, a planet that was completely flooded by the seas. People live in fleets of giant ships, salvaging relics from the sea's depths. It's fucking anime water world. <laughs> in order to survive, Rito, who may or may not drink his own piss, arrives on one of the fleets called Gargantia, with no knowledge of the planet's history or culture. What will happen to Rado? If Toonami still existed in its previous incarnation, because it's a new Toonami now, but if old Toonami was still around, this would be there. Guarantee it. <laughs> this is your action anime for 16-year-olds. Yeah, just look at this shit. His robot seems to have, like, a giant cut piece. <laughs> My robot dick is bigger than your robot's dick. This is, I mean, the, gen- the designs are generic and supposed to be... Uh, you know, cool and appeal to the kids. It's and like, were the weapons and swords not enough as a penis substitute? <laughs> Do we need to give the robots actual dicks with which they can fuck their opponents with? Yeah, this is like Waterworld without the... Because Waterworld was fun as just a dumb action movie with a lot of cool visuals. This is like fake or Waterworld. This is like Waterworld, but it doesn't feel as cool, I guess. This is like... This is like now there's 20% more piss. Yeah, this is Waterworld for uh, fucking teenage nerds, pretty much. I'm not even teenage nerds now. I don't think it's teenager. I think like, I think regular teenagers that like that you know like. You ever been online in a fighting game or something and hear a lot of like, like uh, cool sounding black guys talking about playing Yu-Gi-Oh? I have, and I'll bet they'll love this show. Like that, that kind. This like, there's this thing now of that you have this young generation that just loves this mindless but uh, stimuli-ridden action show. Uh, this is what this is. So they're gonna love it. I mean, if you're uh, of course this guy has white hair. Yeah, of course. If you're blank teen years old and you want to see big things with lots of colors and explosions and drama and hair bl- blown in the wind. There you go. There's your show. It's like Michael Bay made an anime. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'll stick to Waterworld. Uh, and how sad is that? <laughs> like I say, Waterworld's fun. It's dumb, but it's fun. But it's like really expensive schlock action movie. It was so. the most expensive piss drinking ever filmed. <laughs> it's outside of fetish videos. Yeah. This is like, I mean, this is Waterworld for kids, you know, it's that kind of like, it's brainless, but it's fun, you enjoy it, you know, it's not... This was was the most expensive water sports movie ever. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's like Water for, for Kids. It's like a water-based thing. It's fun. It's dumb. But you'll grow out of it. Yeah, the apocalypse, just like a giant water park. <laughs> uh, so moving on. Good lord. <laughs> Speaking of shit I'm tired of. Hataraku Mao-sama! Devil King Sadao is only one step away from conquering the world. Is this the same show? He's conquering the world when he is beaten by hero Emilia and forced to drift to the other world, modern-day Tokyo, as conquering the world are the only skills the Devil King possesses. Under obviously unnecessary in his new situation, he must work as a freeder to pay for his living expenses. Why? I smell hijinks. Yeah, it's, it's the squid girl, but I guess for... If you want to seem less faggoty, you watch this instead of Squid Girl. I don't know why. Why is the Demon King? And of course, he's a fucking young boy with fucking young, quote unquote, handsome boy. Of course. White hair. Well, no, he didn't have white hair. If you look at the one with the cape, it's the black haired one. Or I guess it's um, green hair. And the whole of horse is uh, white well, hair. Whatever. And of course, you got one with red hair. Why? And you've got the lolly with big tits. This is the closest thing Japan's ever going to get to a sitcom premise. Probably. It's like, guys, just fucking think these things through. I ask you. I beg of you. And of course it's romance. He's probably going to fall in love with the hero that beat him. It's like a gender swap Mao-Yu. And it'll probably suck just as much. God damn it. Okay. Speaking of this, there's an awful lot of shows about demon kings or demon queens or whatever. Like, recently we were talking about the one with the demon queen chick or whatever had to make up with the hero. And then it turned out the show had, like, a gigantic tit cowgirl who crushed some guy with her boobs. Yeah, that's Mao Yu. Yeah, yeah, the one that was, I was hoping would be cool. Maybe be, maybe be like a darker spice and wolf. Yay! Cool! Yay! Nope! Sorry, pal. Nope. You thought we were you thought you were gonna get a good anime made in this year? Or twenty twelve at the time, whatever whenever the fuck it came out, I don't fucking remember anymore, I don't care. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah have a gigantic bitch cow bitch with tits who are bigger than her. Yeah. Fucking hate the world. It's like it's like it was made on a fetish side or something. And of course it bathed in all these cliches and the Demon Queen was a fucking Moe thing. What a way to shit on a perfect fucking premise. You dumbasses. This is just a gender swap version of that. Fuck Mao Yu, fuck this. Moving on. 